You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. Amen. Let's clap and thank the Lord for being in this place. Thank you so much. Amen. You guys know how to sing for a three o'clock crowd. Thank you for staying. You may be seated. Welcome to Southridge. And I know everybody here loves Jesus. Because it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I was watching you worship and praise, and you were singing your heart out and your lungs out to the Lord. So it's great to be together with people who are excited to be together in God's house. So thank you so much for being here. This is your first time. Welcome. We're excited that you're here. Thank you. You're our guest of honor. We're thrilled to have you. And we are in a new series entitled Be the Way. You're looking at culture today, and culture is sweeping us away. It's, it's just kind of amazing to, to watch people caught in what we would call almost the rip current or the riptide of culture that's just sweeping us out. And we're seeing so many lives destroyed right now. And so I think it's so important that as Christians, we once again get grounded in this book. This book is still as relevant today as when it was first written. This word will not return void is what the Bible tells us. That this word is inspired. That this word has power to change lives. That this word right here, if we will read it and heed it, it can change our lives for the better. Amen? Amen. I'm glad you're here. Well, take your Bible to Daniel chapter number 2. The great book of Daniel chapter number 2. And I told you last week, and I'm going to kind of repeat it till we get to about chapter 6, that the book of Daniel starts out as one of the most practical books. It's so relevant to your life and to mine. It starts out practical. And then we're going to jump off into the deep end of theology, and we're going to start talking about the prophetic. And it's so exciting because... When you and I watch the news today, I hope that you're watching it with the Bible in your hand. You say, why? Because what you see on the news, if you read the Bible, you'll see both of them are happening. It's amazing. So I, I know sometimes we can look at what's happening in the world, and you're like me. At times, you, you feel anxiety, and you might feel pressure. But once you get in the Bible, all of a sudden, you're like, well, wait a minute. This is what he talked about. And I get to have the privilege to live through this. I get to see it and know what's going on. This is amazing. So the book of Daniel, it's going to help us. It's going to be a help to us. And we're going to be diving right into it. And Daniel chapter number 2, we're going to pick up in verse number 1. But before we go there, in 1998, I did behind-the-wheel driver's training. Did anybody else do behind-the-wheel driver's ed training? You remember that? Nowadays, uh, you don't have that. It used to be that in high school they would offer it or you'd pay somebody. I talked to 16 and 17-year-olds today, and they're like, why would I want to do that? We got Uber, we got Lyft, and I just don't want to go anywhere. <laughs> you know, they just want to stay in the room and just hang out. You know, there's no reason to go anywhere. So I noticed people don't like to drive. Well, I was the type of person that I wanted to drive as soon as I could. So at 15 and a half, you could get your learner's permit. And so at 15 and a half, you know, you go take the test. And I failed it the first time, so you go take it again. I failed it the second time, but the lady was nice. And so she, I think you could only get 
seven or eight wrong, and I missed one more, and she just like scribbled it out and gave it to me, had, had mercy on me. She knew I was homeschooled. That's why. And so she was like, oh, we get it, we get it. And, and uh, she let me pass. But then uh, I had to do behind-the-wheel driver's training, all right? So a lady came to my high school, which wasn't really much of a high school, but that's a different story. And uh, she pulls up, and it's a brand-new Mitsubishi Galant. I mean, this is fresh off the lot. You know how you can tell? Didn't have the license plate yet. It had the sticker from the dealership there. And I was like, this lady's crazy. She's going to let a person who's never driven a car drive her car. This lady must have great faith, all right? Uh, and so I get in the driver's seat, and she's like, go ahead, let's drive. This is your behind-the-wheel driver's training. So I was like, okay, behind-the-wheel driver's training. And so, you know, you put it in drive, and then you begin to go. And I would notice something peculiar as I was doing my driver's training. He said, what's that? Before I would come to an intersection, I noticed the car would start to slow down. I was thinking, this is odd. I know this car is not a Tesla. There's no robots or anything controlling it. And all of a sudden, I wasn't even touching the brake, but it was like the brake was going down. And I knew I didn't have mental telepathy. I, I knew something was up. And I was like, this car is stopping. And I know I'm not hitting the brake. And then she says, we're going to get on the freeway for the first time. And I was like, yeah, that's a brand new car. I want to see how fast this car can go. Let's get it on the freeway, you know. And so you just hit the accelerator. And then I noticed my foot is on the accelerator, but the car was not accelerating. And I was like, you bought a bad car. This car is not accelerating. And it would just start to slow down. I was thinking, I'm not touching the brake. Well, the whole hour, however long the driver's training was, it, was, it just went like that. And then finally, I, I noticed something. I looked over at the nice lady next to me. And as we would come to the intersection, I would notice something that nowadays, when I ride with my wife, is common. You say, what's that? I would see a foot go like this. And I was like, huh, I wonder what's over there. Because we get to an intersection, I start going too fast, and I see that. And I was like, hmm. So we get to an intersection, there's a red light, we got time. And I was like, I got to look. And I look, and there's a brake pedal over there. She had her very own brake pedal. Here I thought I was in control of this vehicle. Come to find out. She was a control freak who wasn't about to give up control of her vehicle to a 15-year-old and a half kid who doesn't know how to drive. She's like, nope, I'm keeping my foot on the brake. And it's amazing because I think my wife wants one of those brakes on her side. She's looking for it. It's not there, but she, she reaches for it. I think it's amazing today because you and I talk about being surrendered to God, right? And we know God's in the driver's seat. But yet you and I have installed a little break on our side. Oh, no, 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 God. <laughs> no, 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 we ain't, go, we ain't stepping out in faith, God. No, 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 I got to put the brakes on that. Where God is saying, hey, I'm going to take you and your workplace, and I want you to be salt and light. I want you to be an example. And you're like, that's great, God. <laughs> and you hit the brakes on the Lord. John chapter number 6, Jesus is in his hometown of Nazareth. And then he gives an indictment against his hometown. He says, there he could do no mighty miracles. And it gives us the reason why. Because of their unbelief. They said, God, yes, we, we trust you, but only so much. Don't take me faster than I want to go. Don't take me farther than I want to go. Don't ask me to give more than I want to give or do more than I want to do. And here you and I are struggling because you want control and you want confidence. 
and the two are inter, inter, intertwined. You say, what do you mean? Today, many of you look amazing. Actually, that's messed up the saying, many. You're like, so, so what do you think about me? All of you, let me, let me take that back. Uh, I had some people over Friday night, and I thought my kids were asleep, and they leaned over. They were like, which one's your favorite? And I was like, that's a messed up question. I started talking about how each one of them. The next morning, my daughter Megan's like, so who's your favorite? Who'd you say? Yeah, I heard you. I was like, well, you were for two years our favorite child. She was like, that's not fair. You only had me, so it was easy. But it's one of those where it's like, okay, God, here, here's where here, we're confident, and so here, here you all look great. And some of you, your confidence is coming from your outfit. Some of you have a beautiful car in that parking lot, and your confidence is coming from that beautiful car. Some of you, right now, on your Robinhood app, it's all green. And you love checking the Robinhood app because, man, your crypto is doing well. Your stocks are doing well. I mean, you tried that GameStop stuff and they messed you up there. But otherwise, you know, you're like, I'm good, I'm good. And your confidence is because of what you got in the bank. Some of you have a beautiful home and your confidence is in your beautiful home. Some of you, you're climbing the corporate ladder and your confidence is in their ability to climb that corporate ladder. Some of you are doing well in your educational pursuits, college or high school, and you're doing well. Here's, here's the caveat, though. All of those things can be taken away. And if they are, what becomes of your confidence? You see, if my confidence and your confidence is built in something that I have to control, is it re am I really confident? You see, we're going to look at the book of Daniel. We're going to look at Daniel chapter number 2 because Daniel's had everything taken from him. But yet you are going to see a boldness, a confidence. You are going to see a man of God who is purpose-filled, a man of God who would not defile himself, Daniel 1 verse 8, a man who could stand up to tyrants and bullies, a man filled by the Holy Spirit of God. Where does that confidence and courage come from? It had to come from Christ. And if it comes from Christ, how do you and I have that? Because too often as Christians, we don't, or we don't rely on the fact that Christ is our confidence, that Christ is our sufficiency. So how do we build that confidence where we know no matter what happens, that God, my confidence is in you. But oftentimes, the reason you and I don't have confidence is because we are maintaining control of our life. We have to be in control. And right now, the way culture, the way life is, it's going to be the greatest challenge for you and I to say, you know what? I live open-handed to what God has. Because too often we complain about control freaks, micromanagers. You say, oh, my boss always tell me to do this, always trying me to do this. But yet you and I are the ultimate control freaks when it comes to our relationship towards God and staying surrendered to his will. And so this evening, in the few moments we have together, Let's look at how we can have that confidence that comes from Christ. Notice if you would, verse number one, here's the, let's set the stage. Nebuchadnezzar says in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, he had dreams and a spirit was troubled that his sleep left him. Then the king gave command to all the magicians, astrologers, and sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I've had dreams, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spake to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give the interpretation. Then the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you should be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made in ash heap. 
However, if you tell me the dream and the interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. They answered again and said, let the king tell his servant the dream, and we will give its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you, for you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell the dream, and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such a thing of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It is a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out, and they began killing the wise men, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. We just studied last week how Daniel had suffered enough offenses. But now, the next chapter later, and already they are after to kill him? I mean, it seems for Daniel and his compatriots, the hits just keep coming, don't they? I mean, it's not enough to be taken from your land. It's not enough just to be uh, stripped of your identity. It's not enough to be uh, forced to eat food that you're ceremonially uh, saying, I won't eat. But now... Because some guys can't interpret the dream, Nebuchadnezzar is going to execute all of the astrologers, wise men, and Chaldeans. This is the situation where we find Daniel. This is the situation. And if you were to outline this chapter, I'll give you an easy outline. We don't have enough time to go through it. But I want you to see, we see that Daniel's in peril. But what does Daniel do in peril? So you see that Daniel discovers the fact that he's in this tremendously difficult circumstance. So notice verse 14, the Bible says, Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time, that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning the secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the Lord of heaven. I love the fact that when Daniel's in peril, his immediate reaction is not to panic but to pray. And yet you and I, we want to control a situation. And our initial reaction is when we're in a difficult situation... We want to just grab hold of it and hold on to it tighter, don't we? How many like roller coasters? Any roller coaster fans? You, you enjoy it. You're all crazy, all right? You're just crazy, all right? I like Disneyland because there's no really scary roller coasters there, all right? That's why I like that, going to Disneyland. Some of you love Magic Mountain. You like it better. That place is scary. You say, why? Because I'm the guy that as I'm going down, I'm in just fear for my life. My, my stomach is in my throat and it, every... My, every fiber inside of me just doesn't want to be there. And so then when you get to the part of the ride where they snap your picture, I look like this. 
you know, because I'm so afraid uh, because I'm just, I don't like roller coasters. And, th- and I'm that guy. And I'm the guy that's holding on just for dear life, you know, just wanting to control it. I'm the same guy that whenever the airplanes hit a little bit too much turbulence, I grab for stuff, you know, grab my wife, you know, anything to hold on to. How silly and foolish is that? Because when I grab onto that airplane, does all of a sudden, does the turbulence just magically stop? Does it just get smoother? Because after all, I'm controlling literally nothing. But yeah, i just holding on to it. But yet that's so often what we do when we get into a situation that we can't control. We just grip it tighter. And we just hold on to it. We choke the life out of it. All the while we're saying, I trust God. And God's like, no, you don't. You don't trust me. You really don't. I went to a swimming pool not too long ago, and uh, my two oldest, Megan and Austin, just jumped right in and started swimming. Cain forgot he didn't have his life vest on. So he saw older brother and sister jump in, so guess what Cain did? He just jumped in. And I'm being a bad dad, all right? You could judge me later. Just don't call Child Protective Services. I just want to see what happened. You say, that's terrible. You got to learn how to swim. That's the way John Wayne taught people in the movies. That's the way I was going to try to do it, all right? And he was just like, you know, kind of do it. I was right there, y'all. Don't get worked. I was right there. But it was amazing because he just knew, like, hey, dad's there. He wasn't freaking out. Like, even when I pulled him out, he, he didn't cry. He just knew I was there. He was like, it's all good. Dad's not going to let anything happen. Isn't that amazing that we know that God gave us a promise that he will never leave us nor forsake us but yet, even in the midst of our, our peril, we just panic. Like, oh, God, can you figure this thing out? And God's like, how long have you known me? I've been a Christian since I was 14 years old. So over 22 years, I've known God. In 22 years, I would hope that I would trust him a little bit more than when I was 14. I hope my faith in him, I can trust him. That I can trust him when the diagnosis goes wrong. That I can trust him when things go wrong. That I can trust him when the financial bills come in. That I can trust him in the car accident. That I can trust him when there's difficulty. That I can trust him. You see, Daniel knew, guess what? I can trust my God. He's shown himself faithful. What do you do in peril? Do you panic or do you pray? Daniel's like, we got to pray. And he goes to his knees. You see, you and I, and this is the whole title of the message, we need to learn to steer the fear. Because if there's one thing that can derail you and I is allowing that fear to take over because we won't pray. But Daniel, I love what he does. It says that he answers Arioch. There's a knock at Daniel's door, and it's the captain of the king's guard. He's not there to say, hey, the king said you were ten times better, ten times stronger. Guess what? The king wants to reward you. It's uh, actually the king wants to kill you and then your house. Yeah, that's going to be a dung heap. And how does Daniel answer him? I love this. Daniel does this in verse 17. Or excuse me, verse 14. Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch. Basically, he's saying he was calm, he was cool, and he was collected. How do you have that kind of confidence in that situation? Hey, Daniel's confidence is going to borderline on cockiness. You say, how do we know? I love this part. Verse 16, the Bible says, so Daniel went in and asked the king to give him a time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Now, when you and I study that passage where it says he went in, you're thinking, oh, that's sweet. Daniel and King Nebuchadnezzar, they have a really good, 
you know, like a relationship. Dan can just kind of show up, you know, text his buddy, hang out and that type of thing. But the Hebrew word is aulal, and I may be mispronouncing it, but it means to intrude. You say, what does it mean? Daniel barged into the king Nebuchadnezzar and said, hey, I need some more time. You can't just put this on. So he acts with wisdom, but in the same time, his confidence borderlines cockiness where he's going to go in and say, no, we need to talk to the king about this. How is your confidence? Because oftentimes when peril comes into the situation, that's when we struggle, isn't it? But Daniel prayed, but then as Daniel prayed, and then we see in verses 20 through 23, Daniel, for three verses, Daniel prays to the God of heaven. Because prayer is what we use to put a stake in the heart of doubt. That's what prayer is. You bury your prayers deep into the heart of your problems and you kill them. That's what prayer is, folks. And too many times you say, well, God's going to answer my prayer. It's our prayer life. It's not deep enough to drive it into the stake and drive it into the heart of our doubt. Come on, you remember the old black and white vampire movies, all right? You remember where they would take a stake and they would drive it into the heart of the vampire to kill it. God is saying, hey, what do you use to drive deep into the heart of your doubt? And so Daniel, he's coming to a situation that's perilous. He prays, but then he doesn't just pray. For three verses he prays. But then you see Daniel start praising God, verses 20 through 23. And I find that's amazing because as long as Daniel prayed, that's how long he praised God. I find that you and I are very good at asking God for things. Like you and I really don't have a problem in asking God for things. That's the easy part. You know where we struggle? In the thanking God for things. Because you're probably like me all day today. You were just saying, all right, Lord. Be with my family, God. Give us strength. Be with us. God, I pray that you provide, work this thing out and do this. But how long did you spend just saying, God, I'm so grateful for my family. I'm so thankful for the rain. I'm so thankful for this building. I'm so thankful for my car. I'm so thankful for my job. God, I want to spend just as much time as I was asking you for things. I want to praise you for things. Many of you here are parents or grandparents, and you understand when you've got a grandchild or a child that asks you for something and you give it to them, and then they run back and say thank you, you're so much more likely to give them more, aren't you? Because even though you're not expecting gratitude, you appreciate the gratitude. And you know it's good for them that they are grateful. How much more our Father in heaven, is he appreciative of our gratitude? I don't think it's enough that you just say, well, on Sundays for about 15 to 20 minutes, I sing worship and praise to God, and I'm thankful for him. 20 minutes out of 160 plus hours of your week, that's all you show gratitude and, and gratefulness to your God? As he has kept the planets in a line? I mean, just one degree too far to the left, one degree too far to the right, and we either freeze or we burn. Do you understand that? That God is keeping the planets in a line for you and I. We should be so grateful. We should be so grateful for the fact that, man, we have another day to serve God, another day to worship God, how God is so good and he's sovereign and he's working things out. But you and I have to steer the fear. Steer that fear. Say, you know, I'm not going to allow the fear to cripple me. I'm going to steer it. Here's what's interesting. King Nebuchadnezzar didn't know how to steer the fear, did he? He was afraid of something. What was he afraid of? The future. He was afraid of the unknown. He has a dream. He wants to know the interpretation of the dream. You and I, we have fears of the future. Will my kids be okay? Will my job keep me employed? 
What's going to happen to my relationship? What's going to happen with my marriage? What's the diagnosis? Will COVID-19 ever go away? We have things we're afraid of in the future. And you know why we're afraid of them? Because the outcome is uncertain. We don't know what's going to happen. But my friend, let me encourage you with this. The future is unknown to us, but well known to God. So you and I can approach the future with a confidence, not in our ability, not in our savings, not in our talent, but in the God who is in our tomorrows. Because you and I look at time and look at life like a parade, like the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. You say, what do you mean the Macy's Day Thanksgiving Parade? You and I look at it, and we can only see one part of the parade. You are either at the beginning, the middle, or the end of the parade. And unless you're in a helicopter, you don't get to see the beginning, the middle, and the end. Only God has that view of time. He sees the beginning of time, the middle of time, the end of time. He knows how it's all going to work out. What you and I have to do is we have to trust Romans 8, 28, where all things work together for good to them who are the called according to his purpose. You see, we trust God. We don't know the future. It is unknown to us, but it's well known to God. God knows the future. Tomorrow's my wife's birthday. So I was like, hey, babe, we're getting ready for your birthday tomorrow. And she's like, it's actually today. I was like, no, it's not today. She was like, I was born in the Philippines. And today is tomorrow in the Philippines. <sighs> what? I was like, okay, do I got to get flowers in a card or something? She's like, yes, yes, you do. Two days. I get two birthdays. I was like, I think that's cheating. She's like, I'm your wife. This is what you signed up for. So you got to make it happen and everything. And I just thought, how beautiful is that, that our God knows what's going to happen tomorrow. That he's in our tomorrow. He knows how it's going to work out. So I can trust him and I can steer the fear. But to adequately steer the fear, I have to do the next thing. What's that? Surrender fully. You see, you and I talk about surrendering fully. We sing about it, but yet we still hold on control, don't we? There's a drum set to my left, your right. And I always thought it'd be fun to play the drums. I always thought it'd be neat to just be able to step up and know what the toms are, the cymbals are. And yet, even if I go up to the cajon, which is the little one right here, I would sound terrible. You would never want me next to those drums. You'd never want me to. Pastor Missal, on the other hand, yeah, you put a pair of sticks in his hand, the guy is amazing. Some of you don't know he could have made a career in just playing the drums. He's that good. Now, here's the difference. Somebody who doesn't know what he's doing to somebody who's a master. What if, what if I said, no, I'm playing the drums every week and I have no skill, no ability, but yet I'm holding control of that. We would never have great music. But the moment I say, you know, I'm releasing that fully and then I trust him, all of a sudden now we can have great music. See, what happens is you and I are holding so tight to our life that God is saying, I'm trying to work through you, but you are holding on to something. It wasn't until I heard how good Pastor Missile is that I was like, hey, you can play anytime you want. I could surrender fully. My wife and I, when we first got married, I thought the man's job is to take care of the finances. That's the man's job. That's, that's the rules in some imaginary rule book, right? And then we were broke real fast because the man was broke. <laughs> so everything else was broke. And then my wife just kind of sit back and everything. And she was like, you want help? No, the man didn't demand your job. The man got to do this. And then 
And then she was like, well, the man is going to be selling everything we own pretty soon here. So let me take over. So she took over, and all of a sudden I was like, hey, I saw you went to the store. She was like, yeah, we have money again. I was like, well, I'm not making more money, so I don't know where we're getting it. She was like, no, I have a budget. I said, what's a budget? She was like, oh, my goodness. I was like, I just pay on the interest. That's, that's where I was living off of, the interest, you know, just paying off on that. And all of a sudden, I remember once I saw how good she was with the finances, I was like, oh, let's, yes, that's not the man's job. I'll go in the kitchen. How about I cook? This could be the man's job. And I'm not even good at cooking, you know, but I was like, hey, we've got money to pay our bills. We're not going to get evicted. So guess what? I don't care what the man's job or what isn't the man's job, but we got money. What happened? I was able to surrender fully once I saw what she was able to do. Haven't we seen what God is able to do? Haven't we seen how he can create the world out of nothing? Haven't we seen God do miracles in our life and yet we still can't surrender fully to that? We trust him with our eternity, but we don't trust him right now in this reality. And that's the struggle that you and I have to say, no, I've surrendered fully. That I relinquish all rights to my life. You see, Daniel could have a confidence because he said, it's all God's. Man, if I go into the king's throne room and I die, guess what? I get to be with Jesus. I am surrendered to this. No matter the outcome, I trust God. I relinquish control. I give it all to my God. You see, because the reality is that as a child of God grows, we learn to surrender to God. And we learn to give God control and to release control to God. That should be happening in your life and my life for the rest of our life. That every day we're just learning to surrender more to God. And as I was writing this message, I was like, oh, this is good. You know, because then God can trust me when situations are out of control. And then this week, it's amazing, stuff started to get out of control. And I started to want to grab onto it and control it. And then I was like, wait a minute, no, I just need to surrender to God. He's going to work this out. You see, a child of God needs to learn to be confident in releasing control. But a mature child of God learns that they were never in control. That's the dichotomy of the two. A child of God is releasing control, but a mature Christian knows, I was never in control anyway. You take all my finances, I'm, I'm okay. You take my house, I'm okay. You take my health, I'm okay. You take whatever you want from me, I am okay. What did Job say? Naked I came into this world. Naked I shall return. But he still blessed the name of the Lord. He still was able to say, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. When have we lost that mentality as believers that we no longer fully surrender to God and trust him? This is why we're so easily manipulated by our feelings. This is why we're so easily dictated by things. This is why a news report or somebody can say something or somebody can do something and we get all frustrated because we don't surrender fully that God is truly in control. That God is in control of your boss. You say, well, my boss is an atheist. The Bible says the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and he directs his way. So you may think your boss is in charge, but your boss is a boss. And he's the creator of the universe. He said, well, I'm struggling in my marriage. Guess what? Your marriage, there's somebody that's over that. I'm struggling with my parenting. Well, guess what? You have somebody that's over that. There's someone in control. But because Daniel was able to steer the fear, and because Daniel was able to surrender fully to God, 
we see that Daniel was able to stand firm and move forward. You say, how do we know that? Because in verse 24, the Bible says, Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king, and he said to him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers, cannot to the king, cannot declare to the king. And I love this in verse 28. But there is a God in heaven. But there is a God that's over your situation. But there is a God over your finances. But there is a God that is over your health. But there is a God that is over San Jose. But there is a God over your marriage situation. But there is a God that is over all of this. And that's why Daniel was so bold. That's why Daniel was so courageous because he knew there is a God that is over this. Can you make such a declaration? Can you say, but there is a God, and I trust my God. I love my God. My God has never failed me. He's never left me. He will never forsake me. He's always there. I know how good my God is. You see, that's what we've lost, that there is a God. And that's where Daniel's confidence came from. It was not in his ability, even though, guess what? Chapter 1 tells us he was 10 times better. He didn't trust in his ability. What did he trust in? His God. My friend, we don't trust in government. We trust in God. We don't trust in our abilities. We trust in God. We don't trust in our car. We don't trust in our uh, uh, business acumen. We trust in God. It always is. And I know that's simplistic, and I know that may seem like, well, I know that. Yes, it's time to start believing that. You see, the Bible says, according to your faith, be it unto you. According to your faith, there needs to come a day and age where Christians once again start talking to their doubts. They say to their doubts, there's a God that is bigger than you. You're a bully doubt. You are our bully fear. And there is a God in heaven. And that's what Daniel stood on. And he said, this God reveals secrets and has made known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what will be in latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these... This is powerful. You say, why? Because it's the first time we see prophecy introduced to someone who doesn't know God. What Daniel's actually telling Nebuchadnezzar is, hey, God's trying to talk to you. He's trying to give you a picture of the future. He's trying to let you know about what's going to come to pass. And we don't have, for the sake of time, to dive in just how important this is and just how powerful this is. Because it's amazing because Daniel 1 and Daniel 2 to verse number 7 was written in Hebrew. But after verse number 7, it is switched languages to Aramaic because God was specifically trying to reach somebody who was a Gentile, who wasn't a Hebrew. And God says, I'm trying to witness to this person. God was trying to communicate. And God will go to great lengths to reach you. He will go to great lengths to communicate to you. You see, there is a God who can make known what is unknown. There is a God who can control what is out of control. And there is a God who can bring triumph out of your trouble. And that's what we need in uncertain days. That's what we need as we go forward.
that we say, God, you're in control of all of this. I have no reason to fear. I don't have any reason to doubt. I can confidently step into my tomorrow. I find that we are so filled with stress and anxiety and depression. And all of these are because we're trying to control something that we know we cannot control. And my prayer for our church is that we say, you know what, God? Me trying to control these things is just foolish. I don't know if you've seen the meme or the picture, uh, but I saw it. And I've talked about it because it just rang so funny, but yet it's so true. There's a man with a push broom, and he's at the Pacific Ocean, and he's trying to push the waves back into the ocean. And the wave keeps coming, he's trying to push it back in. And he's pushing, he's just like shaking his head and raising the broom, and he's pushing, he's pushing. And that's you and I. We're trying to fight against the ocean. But we need to remember who actually can control this. Who actually can do the work? Who actually can heal Debbie Duran? It's God. Who actually can work the miracle? It's our God. And that's what we rest on. And that's what we hope on. So for you and I, you want a confidence? It comes from Christ. But it comes when you and I have learned to steer the fear. When you and I know how to surrender fully, then we can stand firm and move forward. Let's stand as we close tonight. Grace, Heavenly Father, we love you. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that in this short, short few verses, how you can challenge us that our confidence is constantly under attack if we have it based on anything that is outside of Christ. So, Father, would you help us in this moment? God, would you move in our presence? Father, we have no strength but what you give us. Father, we have no future but what you give us. And right now, this evening, I believe there are people that they are saying, just like Nebuchadnezzar, I'm afraid of the future, God. And Father, for them, I do ask that you would reveal the truth to them. That you would reveal to their spirit and reveal to their mind and reveal to their heart what you have planned. Because your word tells us that the thoughts that you think towards us are thoughts of peace and of goodness. And so, Father, I pray that we'd be filled with those. I pray that we would leave out of here with a hopeful expectation that great things are on the way because there is a God in heaven. And if Daniel, who is isolated, who is indoctrinated, who is influenced, could stand on the truth that in godless Babylon that there was a God that was over Nebuchadnezzar and to boldly stand on that and find confidence, then why can't we? Why can't I? So, Father, tonight we relinquish our doubts. We give you our fears. We give you our self-doubts. And, God, we put it back on you. And we say, God, give us your confidence. Help us. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to pray for you. Are you filled with doubt, discouragement? Do you need direction in your life? Or do you need to know the God that Daniel knows? If that's you, I want to pray for you this evening. So right now, with no one looking around, with every head bowed and every eye closed, this is the moment where God wants to meet you, wants to speak to you, to directly what you're going through. And God wants to encourage your confidence. And you say, Pastor, I need prayer. Would you pray for me? And if you slip up your hand, I'd love to be able to pray for you. Oh, amen. I see those hands. Amen. I see those hands. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. You may put your hands down. So many hands, so much uncertainty. So what we're going to do is we're going to just have a moment. We're going to seek God. 
we're gonna pray. I don't have a worship team right now. There's just some soft music playing. But right now, if you'd like to slip out of your seat and make an altar at the front, you can. Or if you wanna, right there in your seat, you say, my altar's right here. I can do business with God. Then you go ahead right now. You don't have to wait on anybody. It's just you and God. This is your moment. I love the fact that Daniel, in the midst of everything, Arioch was trying to destroy some people, that Daniel said, hold on, we got some time. So right now, we can make some time. You do business with God, I'll give you a moment. You slip out of your seat if you want to slip out of your seat, or you can kneel right there. Don't be afraid of the silence. Just you and God. Let God just speak to you. Let him minister to your heart. Pray and ask God to feel, fill your heart with that faith that that faith would rise up in your spirit, that you would walk out of here with a renewed confidence. In your mind, say, God, give me pictures of your power. God, let me see you over these situations that are overwhelming me. God, let me sense your presence that it's working. And maybe confess the thoughts of doubt and panic say, God, I'm going to praise you over all of this. That God, I'm going to sing about this. That I'm going to worship you, God. That I believe my God is bigger. That I believe my God is stronger. That I believe my God will see me through. Our God is not dead. He is alive. And he's powerful. And he's working. We used to sing an old hymn. I'm standing on the promises of Christ my King. Through eternal ages, let his praises ring. I am standing. I am standing on the promises of God. What are you standing on? If it's anything other than Christ, it will crumble like the sand. But we need to stand on the rock of Jesus Christ. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Upon this rock, God does great things. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, your goodness to us is chases down. The psalmist said, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And so, Father, your goodness, it meets us. Whether we deserve it or not, there's your goodness. And so, Father, we thank you. We humble ourselves before you. With hearts filled with gratitude, we say, you're our God, and we will trust you. We will submit fully to you. So when you ask us to step out of faith this week, we will do it. Because according to your faith, be it unto you. And we want to be faith-filled. And God, help us as a church to stand firm and to move forward for your honor and glory. There are great things that you've called us to. And so, Father, we pray in this moment that you would move and bless and guide. We ask this in Jesus' powerful name and all God's people said, amen. God bless you. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting southridgesanjose.com slash connect. Again, that's southridgesanjose.com slash connect.